Welcome to the State and Migration in Europe channel. Uh, today, we are discussing uh, the states and elections in France. There has been in France over the last months um, a series of um, electoral events, starting with the presidential election in April and followed by uh, parliamentary uh, elections. So uh, it's good time now, uh, around mid-July, to um, to uh, to take stock of what has been going on in France. Um, it's um, this is a strictly a political development. It's not directly related to immigration. However, immigration has been uh, one of the key defining political questions in France over the past half century. So uh, a lot of what has to do with the evolving political situation, the evolving political structure in France, is also related to uh, to immigration. But let's start first so, with what has been going on um, electorally. It seems to me that the main, the main uh, characteristic of the electoral uh, developments of the past months has been the, um, the domination of personal movements over, uh, over French politics. I think it seems to me to be the, the, biggest, the biggest change in this uh, in these episodes, and I think this uh, this situation highlights quite extensively uh, the nature of the French political system, and uh, is not also uh, unrelated to immigration, as we will deal uh, with later. To discuss this issue, uh, I am very glad to have uh, with me uh, Francis uh, Gilles. Uh, Francis is. Uh, has worked as a journalist for uh, nearly half a century. He um, he was born in uh, he grew up in in North Africa at the time of um, of uh, French colonization there, and um, moved back to France, then to the UK, and uh, is a, a living memory of what of the various developments upheavals of uh, French politics over this period. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm very glad to have you around, Francis. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show. So uh, simply to start, what, what is your view on this, uh, on this uh, electoral uh sequence we have we have seen do you share my my uh do you share my conclusion that the big uh development has been this rise of personal personal movements and how do you relate that to a more long-term picture of of french politics uh, well thank you first uh, for having me um, I think in answer to your question, the French presidential system, as it's existed since 1959, the foundation of the Fifth Republic, does give a lot of power to the president and relatively little to the National Assembly, to Parliament. So this is a constitutional and a fact of French political life. Um, uh, but of course, uh, if you have persons like General de Gaulle, who's one thing at a very difficult moment of French history when Algeria was fighting for its independence, and then you... Uh, you fast forward the 60 years, things have changed. Now, uh, the, the last four or five years have witnessed a personalization of the debate in the sense that President Macron 
was elected five years ago on a centre-left ticket with a centre-left electorate, but has practised policy, policies which, on the whole, economically and socially, are centre-right. He's also tried to frame the debate ahead of the presidential election the last two or three years. He systematically framed the debate as one of him defending the values of the Republic against the extreme right Marine Le Pen, who he argues, many people believe, would be a threat to the Republic. So if you get elected on the centre-left and then you start framing all your responses to uh, different policy issues, including economic and social ones, towards the centre-right, that was an attempt to gain ground on the centre-right. But of course, it personalised um, the debate even more. It made the leaders, Marine Le Pen, seen as the incarnation of everything which is bad and threatening for the Republic, and Monsieur Macron as the paragon of Republican virtue. It, it, makes it, um, it makes it inevitable. And in the first year or two, Monsieur Macron had the benefit of the doubt. Many people who were centrist, centre-left, centre-right, uh, thought or believed that he would hold his promise of reforming the system of government in France. In other words, top to bottom, very much top to bottom. Um, and then uh, the movement, the revolt of the popular, the middle, lower middle classes, the Gilets Jaunes, uh, more just over a year after his becoming president, showed that this was not the case. So um, the advantage of framing the debate for him as a fight with the extreme right was that he could conflate the poorer suburbs, which the French elite is afraid of, they see them as reservoirs of danger, Islam, because of course there are a lot of immigrants or French people of North African origin who may be French citizens. You conflate Islam, terrorism, for which France suffered uh, in 2015 badly, uh, and danger. You conflate all this and you drown the real social problems, which are the problems of um, uh, lower wages or people who are finding it very hard to make ends meet and people who feel they just don't have a say in the system because it has to be said that Macron founded a party just after being elected president or just before which won a majority in the national in the parliamentary elections a month after he became president and uh, this party uh, the French word was good you foot soldiers uh, they just follow orders. It's not a classical party like if you look at Britain today. It is a parliamentary democracy because the, the, the party, the, 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 the leading party, revolts against its leader. In France, it's all top to bottom. So the circumstances of Monsieur Macron's first mandate has further uh, personalised things and destroyed the intermediary role of parties or political groupings. So it's made the defects of the Fifth Republic even worse. Yes, yes, absolutely. There, there are two, two very interesting things that you have uh, brought forward. The, the, third, the first is the, the relation with the funding of the Republic uh, by de Gaulle. And, and the second is the relation with, uh, with Marine Le Pen and, and the far right. Uh, 
Regarding the first aspect, uh, the funding of the Republic by the goal, there has been this this issue that oh, you should not overestimate uh, the how new uh, Macron's uh, Macron's adventure is because actually it's it's an intrinsic aspect of the Fifth Republic to have this uh, this uh, person alone rising and uh, and um, gathering the crowd around around them. Uh, this is what De Gaulle was doing. De Gaulle had a very also strong uh, character, but I think with Macron there are, there is something uh, there is uh, there is a number of differences. Uh, the first is that the institutional system had evolved. Uh, when, as you said, the Fifth Republic started in 1959, the, the president was still not elected uh, directly by the people. It was uh, it was uh, uh, an elect. And, um, a constitutional reform in 1962 that led to this development. That was a, a, a first transformation. The second transformation is the five-year mandate, which um, which made the um, the presidential elections and the parliamentary elections co coincide. And this uh, was reinforced by a third aspect, which is a strictly technical aspect, as far as I know, is that um, there is this calendar that presidential elections precede uh, parliamentary elections. And this seems to me quite important for the French political system, because what we have seen over the last months is that the first round of the presidential election determines basically the rest. We can discuss about the exact result of the parliamentary election, the fact that Macron did not get the absolute majority in the, in the National Assembly. But what has been clear is that the first round of the presidential elections determines completely uh, the 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 French political landscape. And this reinforces dramatically the, the, the various, uh, this aspect of the Fifth Republic to have a, a strong leader at the top. It reinforces enormously the role, the role of the president. And you cannot even say that this, um, this uh, personalization of power at the top is the result of electors choices. Um, you, if you take, for instance, this this relation between presidential elections and parliamentary elections, what what was interesting is that the last time that the president tried to dissolve the National Assembly, I mean, dissolved it in 1997, uh, Chirac faced uh, a crushing defeat in the uh, ensuing electoral uh, in the ensuing pers uh, um, parliamentary elections. So it showed that the people did not really want to give more power uh, to the president. Uh, they could perfectly outvote a, a, a president in office, and they could even consider that dissolving the National Assembly was some form of abuse of power. So um, the evolution of the institutional system has changed a lot um, I've changed it a lot since the goal. And now it's clear that this system favors a very uh, hierarchical, top-down and personalized uh, exercise of, of power. And also you could compare Macron and, and, and de Gaulle. And de Gaulle had, of course, uh, uh, a specific status as the leader of uh, the, the Free French during during World War II, uh, he had uh, he was uh, the head of the uh, government of national unity at, at the end of the Second World War. He was not a random figure. What we have seen in this election is that you are, you can have 
I, I would be a bit odd, but you can have almost random people uh, going out of the of the crowd and starting their personalized movement. So we have had uh, Macron doing that. Uh, we have had also uh, Eric Zemmour. Uh, doing it. So these this are not people who create a personalized movement in very specific historical conditions. And these are people without any important histori historical role beforehand who benefit from an institutional setup that is itself very, um, very top-down and that concentrates power increasingly. So you will tell me what you think about this analysis. But the second thing you mentioned is the relation to Marine Le Pen. And I think it's quite, it's quite interesting uh, what you say. And it comes back to the question of immigration. It showed that uh, immigration uh, and state policies in relations to immigrants has been one of the key uh, defining um, uh, elements in French political life. And uh, Macron has been positioning himself towards uh, Marine Le Pen, especially on this, on this issue, as if this issue was uh, a point of reference in, in French politics. And last, and this connects the two aspects, uh, Marine Le Pen was herself, uh, is herself a product of this uh, personalized movement. She started with her father in 1972, and she just took up the, the, um, the movement created by her father, but she's, uh, she's the first to have had this personal, this personal movement uh, to, to, to compete in French politics at the expense of traditional uh, political, uh, political parties. So do you share with me that the institutional evolution in France um, has led to this uh, personalization of power that now is taken up by people without any specific historical dimension? And also, do you share this point that immigration has been uh, uh, a defining issue and has led uh, to the rise of the National Front and to uh, the National Front being a form of point of reference, even a negative one in French politics. I think that everything you say is true, but I think one has to place this into, the, into a much broader evolution internationally. Is that uh, one, uh, it's true that Macron uh, has never seemed to have a particular convictions in terms of international affairs or uh, economics. He's a liberal, he's in favor of globalization, but this is a period when globalization is being questioned. Globalization has been questioned since the financial crisis of 2008. The COVID crisis has further questioned uh, the benefits of globalization as we've practiced it. And the war in Ukraine is questioning it even more because we see what happens to the supplies of uh, food and all the rest. Uh, so the, the international landscape has changed enormously in the last uh, 20 years. And uh, the increasing presidentialization or personalization of French politics is happening at a moment when national governments, be they French, uh, German, English, whoever in Europe, have less and less control on how they manage the economic affairs of their own country uh, for the reasons, for, the, for what we've seen in the, last, um, in the last two decades. First of all, power has seeped to Brussels, for better or worse. 
the commission in Brussels plays an important role and all kinds of rules and laws are set in Europe. And then France has to implement them. And yet the political discourse in France, as indeed in, uh, it's true in Spain and Italy, continues to be, yes, the prime minister or president can, um, can do, he's got the freedom to do this or that, which are very constrained by the power that lies today in Brussels or in the European Parliament. Secondly, globalization has taken the form of finance, of bank, of financiation. Uh, it's, it, uh, the, the financial instruments, banks, investment funds play an increasingly important role in deciding where credit goes, where it goes, where investment flows go. And that deprives de facto the leaders of, uh, uh, not and particularly in France, of a lot of the they may have had 20, 30, 40 years ago. And this is even more true in France because France has suffered much worse disindustrialization, say, compared to Germany. It's lost many of its companies to foreign interests. And therefore, for all these economic reasons, they add on to the institutional questions you mentioned to mean that the French president, in fact, looks more and more like a giant of the feet of clay. Yeah. Maybe it plays it plays a role, um, but to some extent, you could say also you could argue that the French state is much uh, more important economic in the French economy today than it was even 20 years ago, and even more than it was at the beginning of the Fifth Republic. If you take the, the, the level of spending by the state of your of French GDP, it has just been rising over the entire Fifth Republic. So all this is part of a, a, of a systematic uh, empowerment of the state uh, across the Fifth Republic. And this is not unrelated to the evolution of the institution. That is, the state takes more power economically and the state also becomes more concentrated in it, in it inside itself. That is, it takes more power outside and the structure, the hierarchy inside becomes even more top-down. Yes, there have been, uh, there have been um, there is an increasing role for the European Commission in Brussels, but uh, but uh, heads of state still carries a day or so in Brussels, and uh, um, so here it's it's an aspect that is interesting, but maybe is a little there, bit another, outside. There's, there's another, there's another point which I think we have to bring in at this stage is that the uh, the state has become more powerful and more uh, personalized. And at the same time, the French have completely failed to hand power down to the regions. Germany has a structure the regions play a very important political and economic role. Italy, for all its problems, the regions in Italy play quite a big role, and the clusters of important industrial families in Italy, notably in the north, play an important role in France. The decentralization, which was willed by Monsieur Mitterrand, in 1981 has been basically, uh, has, has been very negative because over the 20 years that followed that law in 19, I can't remember, it was 81 or 83, uh, piloted by the Minister of the Interior, Gaston de Fer, one million 
civil service jobs in the regions were created. Regional authorities were set up, splendid headquarters of Hôtel de Région were set up. And from what we know, not one new job or one point of GDP was added to France with all this huge expenditure. Whether the government of Monsieur Mitterrand uh, really wanted decentralization or not, or whether it was just a fob off re a request. But the result today is that we have regional presidents who cannot play much of a role and certainly can't can be compared to anything like Germany. And so people feel uh, people feel very frustrated because they 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 don't feel they can control anything at a local level. And you could do a certain amount of things at the local level because you could get majorities where people were interested in local um, in uh, in local interests. And therefore, that may uh, mean that extreme right or extreme left have less interests. But it's not the case. In fact, everything goes back to the Elysee Palace more than ever before. And yeah. so um, there's a combination of the change in the institutions, which you have described extremely well. You've got the broader uh, question of, um, of uh, globalization. And may I point out that in the way in foreign investment, international investment moves, it tends to go to big cities which are well endowed in universities, in hospitals, in schools, and in lodging. And you find the same problems of beginning of desertification in Germany, you find them in England, you find them in Spain, and you find them in Italy, where certain cities benefit enormously from the way things are moving, and other ones become what the French have called deserts, which is maybe an exaggeration. Nonetheless, they lose schools, they lose hospitals, they lose jobs, and they become poorer. And you have the, what you have today, and it's not just in France, but France is very striking. You have very wealthy cities where everything looks, everything's going well, people are doing well, their jobs. And then 20, 30 miles down the road, you have a place which is falling to pieces. And this is what makes uh, the French centralized system all the more difficult because local initiatives cannot change the way globalization investment works. Nonetheless, if people were empowered to use an expression I don't much like, but if people were given the chance to do their own thing, to fight, to try and imagine new ways of running their affairs, and you do get certain examples in France of towns, of even villages where People have taken the initiative, they've done things, they've created something completely new. But these ideas are not ones a senior French bureaucrat would think about, because a senior French bureaucrat, as indeed bureaucrats in other countries, but in France particularly, or in England, they think they know, they understand, and once they've spoken the truth, it, it is implemented. And that's not the way the world works. I perfectly agree with, with what you say. And to come back to the overall theme of this discussion, if these personal movements that are rising in French politics, what do they tell us? And what you say is that they are tightly correlated with a broader, uh, a broader picture of concentration of power uh, in France. So concentration of power within the state and, uh, and concentration of power for the state also. I, I completely agree with you that the regionalization was mainly an operation of, uh, I don't know exactly what I have to say, admittedly, was it a way to, to, um, to calm down uh, French neighbors um, because there was, there was some involvement of 
the European communities and union in this regionalization? Was it a way also to, 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 uh, to achieve a concentration of power by pretending to, to give away some, some competencies? Actually, as you said, uh, uh, there was no, um, there was no redistribution of real power. The, the power has remained at the top. And what you say makes sense that as this concentration of power is also itself leading to, um, to some areas being, uh, being out of, uh, of, economic, of economic development. So, um, so if we compare French politics with the, the politics in other countries, what we have now is a series of personal movements. You have the movement of Macron, the movement of Mélenchon, of Marine Le Pen, Zemmour, I think he not really managed to, to make it, but there will be someone else at some point who will create another similar movement. And this is in sharp contrast uh, <laughs> to, um, to what's going on in the UK, as you said, even what, what's going on in the US and in, in Germany, where you have established institutionalized political parties and people vote for those parties. And why is it related to the concentration of power? Also because those, those political parties, they have internal checks and balances. That's that's absolutely key. That is the 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 person who end up at the top of the party for a, a certain amount of time has been selected through uh, through an internal uh, process, and this person is simply representing the party. Is not representing itself. When you move from institutionalized. Uh, parties with their checks and balances to personal movements, then there, they are no longer checks and balances. And at that moment onwards, elections become a, a communion between a leader, we supposed to have understood everything and knows everything, and, and people. It's no longer, uh, uh, elections are no longer in favor of uh, parties with their positions on uh, a series of questions and uh, and also their internal uh, democratic processes. So actually, elections become a way to learn the concentration of power. That is, you want to give all the power to someone because Macron has understood everything and Macron has solutions to everything. When there was this, uh, let's be frank, there has been the, a tendency in other countries, the, the, the rise of Donald Trump to some extent was a form of personalization of power, but Donald Trump did not create his personal movement. He remained within the Republican Party. Things may change in the future in the United States, but when there was the rise of the Trump uh, of the Trump phenomenon in the United States, uh, a lot of people were extremely scared by what was going on, not simply because they hated the Republican Party, also because of this personalization. And a number of people started talking about, about tyranny or even about some form of totalitarianism. I think this these ideas were very much misplaced in the US context, at least at that time. But in France, the question, the question is there. That is, um, those, those personal movements are changing also the nature of the French political system. They are to some extent the outcome of institutional changes, but in turn, 
they make the system even more centralized. Once you have gone through this process in which you have a, a number of leaders competing uh, for the top position, then what's going on afterwards, afterwards is that this leader can exert a, a a very high degree of power. As you say, the, 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 the member of Macron's movement were simply voting what he was uh, uh, what what he wanted in the previous in the previous mandate. So the now Macron failed to have his, uh, his absolute majority in, in the National Assembly. I don't think this aspect in itself uh, restores uh, checks and balances in the, French, uh, in the French political system. But what are your views on, on this, Francis? Well, I think that first of the, the interesting comparisons for me uh, with France, between France and other countries, not with Trump, it's with the United Kingdom, because the United Kingdom is the oldest parliamentary democracy in the world. And yet we saw with uh, Brexit uh, uh, and the rise to power of Boris Johnson, uh, the extraordinary personalization of, uh, <clears throat> of power, despite the, uh, despite the, the existence of an old uh, very old parliament and uh, very well-established parties since the Conservative Party is probably, arguably, the oldest political party in, West, in the Western world. <clears throat> Yet at the same time, the fall of Boris Johnson <laughs> is demonstrating in the most extraordinary way the extent to which parliament and parties matter is that you, you push your luck, and Boris Johnson has been very successful because Brexit was basically predicated on Boris Johnson campaigning. Had it not been for Boris Johnson, there wouldn't have been Brexit. So you can argue that the personalization of politics really tipped the UK out of Europe, which was a major change, and it was not done with any thought by most of the electorate. They just were registering a protest vote. So in Britain, we're back to square one, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens. In France today, we have a president who was elected much less well with fewer votes than uh, last time round, but he does not have a majority in parliament. And because the other two, the opposition is uh, symbolized for the moment, since it's an assembly of four parties by Jean-Luc Mélenchon uh, and the extreme right by Marine Le Pen, and you can see in the beginning in the debates on television how extraordinarily difficult it's going to be for the French, for the different parties to even talk to each other. They tend to talk past each other. They, they tend to present things, and this goes back to the French Revolution, as some grand ideological break. So when the left speaks to Macron, they more or less treat him as a fascist. When some of the Macron people speak about the, the left-wing coalition, they talk of them as if they were mad radicals. I mean, the, the vocabulary itself precludes any debate. And then in all that is lost the fact that you, you have the nitty-gritty of daily life, of reforms, of changes, which is not always ideological. Some of it is very practical. And I think that the debate will be all the more difficult as the war in Ukraine has precipitated an economic crisis to which we haven't seen the end, because when this war started, I don't think that when the West applied sanctions to Russia, whether this was right or not, I am quite sure from what I know that some of them just didn't, many of them just didn't anticipate the effect on the price of oil and gas and the price of grain.
They, they just didn't see it coming. And so, uh, you know, you've got a system now which is where the state is playing a major role, helping people, handing out checks, but you can't continue to hand out checks forever. At one point, somebody will have to say the truth to the French people. And this is very difficult because Madame Le Pen is a populist. Monsieur Mélenchon is, um, is a very smart politician, but basically he's scoring points. And the Macron people are not quite sure where they are, except yes, the state, the state, the state, the state. And as you pointed out yourself, uh, the state already <clears throat> takes more than half of GDP. So how much further can you go? Uh, what can you do? And so we are faced with a, a, a very difficult, uh, with a very difficult crisis in France. And there again, the comparison with Britain is interesting, is that in Britain, politics are reasserting themselves. They reassert themselves through by-elections, where the Tory party gets beaten flat out. So that's a warning signal. What has happened the last few days in London is the reassertion of the party, of the Tory party, which goes back three centuries, of parliament, and it is the defeat of uh, this kind of uh, leadership, you know, where one man decides everything. It's quite clear in London that in the next few years, the prime minister, whoever he is, will have to rule in a collegiate way and listen to people and not just decide from number 10 Downing Street. In France, to make that move, the system institutionally makes, it's a straitjacket, it doesn't allow that evolution. And then there's also the French mind. You are French, I am French. And you know very well that in the DNA of the French, uh, it's amongst intellectuals, amongst the uh, civil servants. It goes back to the revolution. It goes back to Napoleon Bonaparte. The breakdown of law and order in 1789-93 led to the reassertion of the state under Napoleon. And that state has remained very strong ever since. And that, that, that has been reasserted in 1959, but in historical circumstances which were completely different because, first of all, France had a much better control of its economy than is the case today. And secondly, whereas Monsieur Macron was a banker turned civil servant turned president, uh, General de Gaulle was a, uh, and the people who followed him, Valéry Giscard d'Estaing or, um, or Mitterrand were politicians to their fingertips, and one liked them or not, but they had spent all their life in politics. Monsieur Macron, until five years ago, had never stood in an election. He was a, he was a banker and he was a civil servant. That's all he was. So the experience, and when he speaks to people, maybe this looking so clever and being slightly dismissive of people, a senior civil servant can behave like this, maybe an intellectual in France, but a politician must show more empathy. And the lack of empathy Monsieur Macron shows is in sharp contrast to Madame Le Pen and Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who are capable, whatever one thinks of their politics. Uh, Marine Le Pen showed in this campaign empathy, whether she believes in what she says is another question. Monsieur Macron finds it very difficult, obviously, as a person to express empathy, to, 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 to show that he shares the worries and the concerns of the ordinary yeah. French man and woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. But 
paradoxically, whereas we are talking about the personalization of French politics, I think here we, we are not so much interested in the persons. What we are interested in is in the in the structural changes that this personalization of French politics demonstrates. Yeah. And uh, my my view on that is the personalization of French politics is part and parcel of a much bigger movement of concentration of power in the state in France. You say that the, French, the state is 50% uh, of uh, French GDP. If we take public spending overall, we have been uh, close to two thirds in the recent years uh, with the, the COVID lockdowns have helped to reach that number, but I don't expect them to, to go dramatically down over the next years. So we are two thirds of the French economy being state run. Basically, so um, it's it's a massive concentration of 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 economic power in the state, but also you you mentioned the French Revolution and Napoleon. And if if we take a much longer view, uh, and you also mentioned earlier the regionalization, the the, the long arc of French history since. Uh, since nearly four centuries, has been also to concentrate power in the state at the expense of other forms of power, uh, such as uh, local lords, uh, the Catholic Church, um, even local communities, uh, and even to some extent, uh, some some social units like like the family. Uh, uh, so. Uh, the, the French Revolution, Louis XIV and his successors uh, seriously damaged the power of local lords. The French Revolution nationalized the goods of the church. The 19th century is practically the century of elimination of the church as a major political actor in France until the, the so-called uh, 1905 separation of uh, state and church, which actually came after the state had removed more, most of its uh, capabilities to the church. And um, uh, regions have also been uh, been seriously weakened uh, since, especially if we compare them with the region, the region, the provinces of the Ancien Regime, especially those with, with the parliament. Um, and this, this has not changed. The latest reform with, uh, from Hollande uh, a few years ago has even more diluted the identity, the reg regional identities, for instance, the creation of this uh, Grand Est uh, region whose name absur says absolutely nothing except that the name has been chosen in Paris. Um, it has uh, under undermined the existence of provincial identities like uh, in Alsace, or in Franche-Comté, uh, for instance. Though everything in French history, and in particular in recent developments, point at centralization. Uh, this, is, this is quite interesting. You have a convergence of long-term trend and short-term trend. So centralization of power of the, for the state at the expense of other forms of, uh, of other sources of power and concentration of power within the state in, in favor of one, uh, one simple person. And what you say about the UK is, is very interesting for the differences that there is in France. There is no prospect of a depersonalization of power because parliament would, uh, would uh, assert its, its influence over the political system. Uh, 
that cannot happen in France like it can happen in the UK. And I would say also that if this parliamentary election has shown anything, is that uh, the, the idea of checks and balances is out of the French um, of the French political system. Well, I, I think uh, I think I must correct you here because if you don't have a majority in the French Parliament, uh, whatever you say today, it's going to be extremely diff difficult for Monsieur Macron uh, and whoever runs the government to uh, to run France without a majority uh, in Parliament. All the more as the French are very good at going down into the street and demonstrating, and they will. Therefore, it's going to be extremely difficult, I think, for the president to continue uh, running France as he has been running it, or indeed for the system to continue. And uh, <clears throat> so I don't know where we're going. I get the impression that there is a very, very deep uh, uh, crisis afoot. How it will be solved? Will it be solved without violence? Are French minds going to change? I do not know, because in the case of Britain, Parliament may have reasserted its role, and indeed the Conservative Party, but don't forget that England, the United Kingdom is, uh, apart from Scotland and Wales, is as centralised as France. This is a result of 40 years or 50 years of politics, which has done enormous damage because local towns are beginning to reassert. Places like Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds are beginning to reassert their right to decide on certain things, but power in London is extraordinarily um, uh, concentrated. But as you say yourself, as I said, the great difference is that after the fall of Boris Johnson, I think it is unthinkable that England will in the near future have a prime minister who, who plays this kind of solo game. He will have to decide with other members of the government and listen. That is, there is no doubt about that. The question in France is how do we ever get to a system which is more collegiate? And that's where, personally, I don't, I don't know how it's going to happen. Will it happen? What, what kind of crisis will lead to it? I just don't know. Yeah, what you say about um, the difficulty for Mr. Macron to get his agenda voted in the National Assembly is correct, and I agree with that. But uh, this is not checks and balances. Uh, checks and balances in the liberal tradition of the late 18th century or early 19th century is that the parliament is there to represent the people and prevent the executive power, which is basically the state, to, uh, to grab more power. So the, the parliament is there to control what the state is doing and keep it in check. Uh, in its expansion. There is indeed, there will be extreme reluctance for many uh, members of parliament, many members of the National Assembly to vote what Mr. Macron would like them to vote. But if you take the opposition in this chamber, they are in favor of even more concentration of power in the state that Mr. Macron is. So those who are supposed to achieve checks and balances, actually they want even more concentration of power. That's something to keep in mind. That is, uh, if there is a stalemate in the National Assembly, it does not 
it's not probably a stalemate that with that will roll back uh, the power of the state and the concentration of power in France. Well, but that, but that, that is very much reflected in the intellectual debate, because if you look at the debate between intellectuals, most people are on the side of the state. There is not in, in the French intellectual life or in French university life, there is not a very strong constituency for true liberalism, i.e. for the role of regions or private companies or individuals. Whereas in Germany, as it was reconstructed after the Second World War, in Britain, in Britain, there is a tradition amongst, uh, particularly on the right as well, um, for free, for individuals taking responsibility of their life, of not turning to the state for everything. There is a strong intellectual tradition, which you can find in the press, in the media. Um, as diminished as the British media may be compared to 30 years ago, you still have some journalists who, when they're faced with the prime minister or the, the people who hold power, can question them in a very direct and rather hard way. In France, if you look at the way the president or the ministers are uh, interviewed by the journalists, the journalists are kowtowing to them. They're not asking the hard questions. They would never dare. So there is a whole intellectual framework. And in Britain, there's enough left of not being afraid to confront politicians, and notably on the right, uh, which means that you get at least to a degree, you get a debate. In France, the extent to which people who believe in a, in a more liberal in the sense of you know leaving more power to companies, to unions, to universities, to everything, that tradition in Britain is strong. It exists in Germany. Interestingly enough, it exists in Italy, and in Spain, you have the autonomous regions, which helps to a degree. But in France, the, inter the problem about the intellectuals is they're all stuck in Paris. They all know each other. They all come from the same schools. It's a kind of a, the inbreeding of the system is very strong, and it's not a new phenomenon. It goes back to Napoleon. Everything Paris talks and the rest of the country listens. Whoever listens to what Marseille or what Bordeaux or what Lyon has to say, they don't. So there is a real problem there. The intellectuals are not capable or not willing for many of them to actually participate in a serious intellectual debate about these problems and confront the problems philosophically. And uh, this is where uh, last year, an French academic who works in London, Brigitte Granville, published a remarkable book on uh, the way France is governed, which was very critical of the French system. Uh, but it's a book which has been published in English, whether it'll ever be translated into French. Very good question. I doubt so, personally. So, you know, you, 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 if, to express a contrivue of the state, even in the French media or in, or in books, is not easy. And this is uh, this is a very this is a very complicated psychological problem because whenever you criticize the state in France, whenever you even as a specialist myself on on something else on North Africa, if you criticize the French state, forget the president on its policy in the Middle East, North Africa, Russia, uh, in some respects the reaction of the state is it's a king de l'es majesté, you sort of affronted the king. And this goes for many subjects. So it's very, it's very, very difficult. It's very, it's going to be very difficult intellectually because the whole makeup of France 
which the institution symbolizes. It's all impacts. It's all within a few hundred yards of the River Seine, the Elysee Palace, the Sorbonne, Notre Dame. Everything happens there. And beyond those few hundred, those few square kilometers, still today, the country doesn't exist. Uh, England, for instance, is different in that respect, because first you have Edinburgh, which even before de devolution, Edinburgh is an intellectual capital. It's also a financial capital because uh, Edinburgh, which many people don't know, is probably the third financial capital of Europe after London, Frankfurt, or Amsterdam, managing hundreds of billions of dollars of international funds. There is Wales, where there's devolution, there's Northern Ireland, so and there's Ireland. So in any case, the British Islands, the British Isles are a construction of their own, which doesn't resemble France at all. But in France, uh, in what I call the Versailles phenomenon, everything goes back to the court. Well, now it's the Élysée. Everything goes back to Versailles. Everything goes back to the Élysée. And this does the incumbent no good, whoever he may be, and it doesn't do the French system any good because people automatically turn to the state and the state cannot answer yeah. all these problems, whatever you believe yourself ideologically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Though regarding the, the intellectual debate, first of all, a number of, of people, um, to be fair, have been um, political scientists have been pointing at the fact that, I mean, I've been criticizing um, the the declaration that Macron did not have a, a majority. That he, I remember uh, reading Le Monde shortly after uh, the parliamentary election, and Le Monde was adding uh, titling that it's a catastrophe. The president doesn't have a majority in the in the in the National Assembly. And to be fair, a number of political scientists have taken a, a different view and said. No, it's it's correct that um, there are checks and balances. Uh, I mean, I don't think there are checks and balances, but they have they have promoted the, the view that the parliament should not necessarily be on the same side as at yeah. the executive. However, I do uh, I do agree with you that the entire um, political intellectual debate in France is what is, is statist, and um, I would. You can relate that to, to Napoleon if you want, but you can also relate it to the fact that basically the state uh, controls and funds academia in France uh, directly. Uh, so. In some cases, it's a little bit more indirect, but I mean, if you compare to other countries, the UK or, or, or the US, it's very direct that the state funds, uh, funds academia and funds the intellectual debate. And therefore, uh, and therefore those who intervene in these debates are, are, are actually paid by the state. So um, this is part and parcel of, of the broader picture that, uh, that, uh, that we are describing and that is encapsulating in these personalized movements uh, with which we started. That is power is getting concentrated. The state is, over, is overwhelming. Um, it controls the economy. It, uh, the state is fundamentally hierarchical. And as you said, geographically, it translates into, uh, into the predominance of Paris over the rest, uh, over the rest of, of, the, um, over the, rest of, the uh, of the country. I think that, for instance, the difference there between France and the United Kingdom is very interesting is that 
because the United Kingdom has universities such as Oxford and Cambridge and uh, parts of the University of London, the Imperial College of Science and Technology, King's College, the London School of Economics, which are not just financed by the state, but they have very big private endowments. And they also work with uh, internationally and much more broadly or with companies. So they have a greater freedom in any case to uh, discuss issues, to publish reports. It's very interesting to see uh, how Chatham House, which is after all not necessarily one of the greatest think tanks in the world, but nonetheless, uh, published a very, very critical report on uh, uh, reports on the British uh, operations in Iraq and Libya. Uh, the idea that a French think tank uh, like Ifri would criticize Monsieur Macron uh, on the French policies in the Middle East, in Libya or Mali, is actually unthinkable. Uh, th that's the fact of the matter. It's, it's not a question of, uh, you know, so... And uh, criticizing French foreign policy is particularly difficult because the foreign policy is the prerogative of the French president according to the constitution. He has the ultimate say in everything to do with foreign affairs. So that makes any kind of criticism of him, well, it's often viewed, as I said, as a crime de lèse majesté. Uh, when in fact you're not so much criticizing the man, you're just trying to criticize the policies. And hence, there's never been a debate in the French parliament about the policy towards uh, Mali or towards Libya. Never. There's never been a real debate. Uh, yes. And, 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 this, and uh, this is even more difficult. Yeah, and, and you see, to, to come back to the French political system, how the new the political system that you have today with these elections, these presidential elections preceding the parliamentary election, all this creates a sacralization. It's uh, le, le sacre, <laughs> the sacralization of the monarch. Uh, and and then everything follows. And the, the fact that we have this electoral process and at the same time, a series of personal movements which are atomized. There is no real structure, let's be frank, within uh, Marine Development Party or uh, movement or Emmanuel Macron's movement. It's just her or him. And that this is superimposed to this political system and creates a, a a complete concentration at the top. And at the same time, it interacts, as you say, with the fact that the state controls the economy, the state controls the intellectual debate and, make, and makes it extremely difficult to have a different, uh, um, to have something else, a different uh, power, uh, to have a power shift within, within France. And th this comes back to what you were saying earlier, which is actually the failure, let's be frank. It's, it's an economic failure. Uh, the, the, the France has been with a crippling unemployment for decades. Uh, it's not it's not a booming economy. There can be uh, at times uh, better or worse mo moments, but there has been overall uh, a failure, an economic failure. And to what extent this economic failure is related also to the concentration of power is um, is, is is something to be discussed. The what is clear is that the economic failure 
serves as an instrument for further concentration. You, you saw it uh, you saw it recently with the EDF, Electricity de France. I don't want to, to, to discuss this aspect, but there is this reflex that anytime something is going bad, the state has to take over uh, the, uh, the, um, the, what, the, the issue. And uh, to, to a large extent, what you were pointing at in, in your precedent um, interventions is that the very concentration of power in the state uh, has led to economic difficulties in, in certain parts of France. And you could argue that extensive regulations of markets by the state um, extensive intervention in 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 many in many areas has has been uh, has been uh, counterproductive economically, and so you have this vicious circle in which economic failure leads to concentration, and concentration uh, certainly doesn't improve the economic prospects. Well, the thing about economics is that you could uh, take uh, take the British uh, example and show how deregulation has done uh, did some good at first with Margaret Thatcher, but then it led to destructions of whole swathes of British uh, industrial life, and then just point to the way Germany or Italy work, northern Italy at least, uh, where there is first of all a dialogue between um, the different parties, between the, the dialogue in Germany, between the unions, the trades unions, the, uh, the owners of companies and the government is of uh, great quality compared to France. And in Italy, the dialogue is not so much in that way. The dialogue is between, in the north at least, is between major industrial families uh, and the state and the unions. And the industrial families in northern Italy feel a duty, a responsibility to maintain employment as they do in Germany. In France, if you looked at, uh, in the last 30 years, at delocalization, to try and keep this, uh, uh, all the people they worked with, the different companies they worked with, to keep the product in Germany, if possible. In France, the major companies always went for the cheapest four, which meant decentralizing, de putting it abroad in Asia. There was never any solidarity of major French companies with regions or people. So there's a whole the host of economic attitudes, which are there again and not new, which compound one another. And in the French, uh, the question of the French state, uh, we know about the crisis of the British state, but the French state is in a crisis which is different from the uh, British because it's the over-concentration of power. And, um, and, and lastly, there, there are two, I think there are two questions really which one has to ask and to which I don't have an answer is first, will France produce one or more political leaders who are capable of posing the problems with courage and intelligence and trying to move forward? Or will it end up, as so often in France, in the streets? And that always carries the danger, because in France, as opposed to England and Germany, demonstrations for better or worse often end up in great violence. It happens quite regularly and far more often uh, than it does in, uh, in England uh, or in Germany. And the threat of violence there is all the greater uh, because you have a police force which is uh, 
exercises its rights in a much more upfront manner than in London or Berlin, uh, the fear of disorder is all the greater. And um, so there's a whole climate. It comes back to this climate in France, which is quite particular, this kind of uh, defeatism, this declinism, this idea which the French writers peddled in the 1930s, it peddled it in the 1870s and 1880s after the French defeat in front of the Germans, is that France is in irremediable decline and all that. Now, this is ideologically comes from the right, uh, but um, it is also, it is something which is very dangerous because it sets a kind of framework of discussion which is completely uh, which doesn't make any sense, because it's one thing to confront the reality of the modern world where France, like Britain, like Germany, uh, their power is declining relatively. Uh, but it's another thing to say this country is irre irremediately lost and it doesn't have resources, because that is not true. France still has companies which are quite remarkable in many fields, including technological fields. It has a hospital system which, for all the problems, and there are plenty of problems, is much better than the English or the Italian or the Spanish one. So one's got to be a, be a bit careful by what one says. And also, there is enormous talent. Uh, the number of startups in France is very interesting. And you've got young, the younger generation of French people, at least those who are founding companies, uh, they talk, when they talk now, for me, who is half French, half English, they're talking like English and like Anglo-Saxons. So there are changes going on. And when you look at the university, it's true that the university is funded by the state. But in recent years, you've had privately funded university, the Paris School of Economics, the Toulouse School of Economics. So it moves slowly. But nonetheless, there is a lot of intellectual talent and ferment, ferment in France. Therefore, I'm less pessimistic than many people. It, it will be a bumpy ride, but then it's going to be, particularly with the war in Ukraine, making all kinds of things worse, it's going to be a bumpy ride everywhere, you know, in the next few years. We're going to have to rethink so many things. And so I think rethinking the French state, well, maybe the genius of the French people or politicians will allow it. I suspect it will happen in one form or another, because we're having to rethink everything at the moment, and not just because of the war in Ukraine. You look at Africa, you look at the rise of China, you look at all this. We are having to rethink all the software we've been using for the last 50 years. And the political class did not wake up in time. Some of the intellectuals did, because you've got books written in the last 20 years, including by uh, French intellectuals, so you've got somebody like Emmanuel Todd, but you've got others and in England and America and Germany, people who've pointed to the enormous problems of readjusting the system. So the French system is going to find it, I agree with you, very difficult to readjust institutionally. But uh, at one point or another, I suspect it will happen. The only question is, how long is it going to take and will it entail violence? Because, of course, if it entails violence, that makes it much more difficult. The striking thing about what's going on in England today is that despite the violence of the words and everything, on the street, there is relatively little, politically, there is very little violence. Uh, France has a history of... Uh, 
political violence in the streets, which goes back to the revolution, it goes back to Robespierre, to all these, you know, la terreur and all this. And uh, the French are more ideologically driven maybe than the British. So there we are, I think that's about it. So it's a very interesting period, but it's going to be a, a very yeah. bumpy ride. Yeah. And the yeah. role of the intellectuals or the press is all the yeah. more important. Okay, but I, I don't think the Paris School of any of economics is is privately funded. Let's be serious. It's it's simply the the, 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 the concentration of the of the state uh, funded laboratories of social sciences in the very center of Paris. It's, no, it's not a yeah, private. Maybe. It's not a private uh, university in any sense of the of the word. But um, no. So to come back to the to to the to the political system and the elections um, with which we we had started, is that there was something interesting in this in this election that is uh, the stakes. The stakes were very high. So there was, um, I remember uh, I was uh, in a dinner just before the second run and everybody was saying, oh, we need to go to save democracy. The stakes are dramatically high because if Marine Le Pen was elected, then it would be uh, the end of democracy and so on. I, I, I would like to take this this panic also uh, as, as a, a phenomenon, uh, a part and parcel of this broader movement that is, as the power gets concentrated, uh, the stakes of who is going to be at the top uh, increase. And uh, the problem is that the very electoral system is, is centralizing power, as we as we as we discuss. That is, uh, it's it's concentrating power in the, inside the president, and the fact that these are not traditional parties that are competing, but personal movements is also contributing to this concentration of power. So the electoral system is concentrating power, and the concentration of power in turn rises stakes of the election, because uh, if someone has so much power at the top, then if the day when there will be uh, uh, the bad choice uh, made uh, during the election for for a reason or another, it it can indeed it can indeed lead to a disaster and violence in the street. I think both can be related. You can have violence in the street as an outcome of of this process. But what is striking uh, to me is that we talk about um, saving democracy through an electoral system that personalizes power. And the opponents to, uh, to the, let's say, the moderate candidate are increasingly radical. In 2017, you still had, uh, you still had Fillon, you still had uh, uh, the, the socialist um, candidate, um, and uh, now, basically, next to Macron, you had uh, Mélenchon, uh, Marine Le Pen, and Eric Zemmour. So as as uh, as time passes by, you, you have increasingly radical uh, candidates who compete for this for this position. So this is additional evidence that it is the electoral process that creates uh, those personalized movements, and um, that concentrates well, I, power. I, 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 I would just interrupt you there to say that this personalization is also very much a result of the media, okay? This is not just in England. The media just thrives on the personality 
And if you take the case of Zemmour, had he not had the support of the right-wing and very powerful industrialist Bolloré, Vincent Bolloré, who's buying up French publishing houses and newspapers one every day, he has imposed Zemmour. Uh, this is in parallel to what goes on in the United States, where private media have played a very, very important role in the rise of the, of, uh, the extreme right. Uh, this is a great difference in, uh, in Britain, where you have right-wing media, but you also have media, not least the BBC, which is state-funded, but which maintain a kind of balance of intelligent debate and so on. So in France, the, the, media, the media in France are, uh, the, the print media are weak. Uh, television has now got shows which promote, I mean, as I said, had it not been for Bolloré, we wouldn't have heard uh, of Zemmour half as much. Uh, so it's an interplay between uh, industrial and ideological right-wing people who impose certain views, and then the left reacts by going out on the, onto the street. How all this ends up, I, I, have no, I have no idea, but the media play a very, very important role because uh, there, is, uh, there are ways and ways of stopping people of get, getting on the media. And one of the worst ways of um, uh, things that's happened in Western democracies, and there I can speak from personal experience, is a groupthink has become, it hasn't been imposed by anybody, there's a kind of groupthink which has taken over, where if anybody says the contrary, in his analysis of what 80% of the pundits are saying, you don't invite him on the show. And this is, nobody's told them to do that. That's the way they function. Uh, that's the whole effect of social media where somebody erupts and then you get a big movement saying this. So anybody who says the contrary just gets wiped off the map. And not everybody has an appetite for social media or insulting each other on the social media. So the social media, the herd instinct, the whole way people go for the, uh, you know, go for the gut. They try and demolish the guy who's opposite. That's a combination of the social media as they've developed in the last uh, uh, 10, 15 years, and in this kind of herd instinct. And I think this reflects something much deeper, is that the power of the West is declining. The power of Europe, the influence of Europe in the world is declining. The power of America is declining, though, America remains preeminent, particularly with the use of the dollar. So when you are in a situation of relatively less power, of less influence, debates, you see, a debate at the Institut Français de Relations Internationales or Chatham House 20 years ago carried weight because the government behind carried weight. Today, the respective governments of France and Britain carry much less weight. So inevitably, the debates in many of the think tanks in Paris and London carry much less weight because people are much less interested in what the French or British government think because what difference does it make? Uh, and the war in Ukraine is a perfect illustration of this. We know that it's a game between Russia, America, and, uh, and the Ukrainians. Of course, the Europeans do have some weight, but neither the French nor the British have much. The Germans probably have more input in different ways. So if you are, if your own state is powerless or has much less influence to impact the course of events, not just in Ukraine, you can see it on other matters, then um, the debates you're having in any case are, have less meaning. 
uh, and it gets, you know, it just loses interest. And as I say, this is a very important aspect because I think that in France, in Britain, first the elites are more realistic. If they had to ally, ally with China, they would, they'd do anything to stay in power. They're more pragmatic than the, than the French. Uh, secondly, the British, maybe the British have settled into a gentle decline, nice countryside, poverty and all that. The French still think of themselves as the people who invented freedom in 1789. And well, they, they, they played a key role. The French Revolution was vital. But today, what does the French Revolution matter to most people in the world? It doesn't matter at all. And I think there, there's this crisis of personality. I think the, the deep down, even with immigration and the question of Muslims and Islam, beyond all the other arguments which you know very well, there is a great crisis of identity. Because the if you define yourself by 1789 and all this kind of thing, of course, when you're faced with a country where I think 15% of France has one grandfather who's North African or one grandmother who's North African. Well, it doesn't work in the same way. So it's a question of rebuilding the French identity. And there it comes back to politicians. It'll be a question of whether there is enough genius in France because de Gaulle managed to recreate France in 45, despite the fact that France had been beaten and had collaborated with the Germans. But de Gaulle, with the help of the communists, managed to refound the myth of the French nation. Today, we need a refounding of the myth of the French nation. And that is something, and I, I wouldn't throw stones at Macron at anybody else, that requires an order of understanding of depth, which for the moment, I don't see any French politic, politician capable of doing. But, you know, la nature a horreur du vide. I mean, maybe someday we'll turn up. It's like in the next few years in Britain. If they get, they've got rid of Boris Johnson. That won't undo Brexit. But the question of who will come up behind in the next few years, well, we don't know. Maybe one or two people will come up who can actually put the foot, the, the, the country back on the rails. And the same thing goes for France, irrespective of Macron, uh, the current French president. Will people emerge who have a capacity to reinvent the myth? Because you need a guiding myth, you need a you you need a narrative, and that goes beyond the institutions. And that's why I think that it's a much deeper problem. The institutions matter enormously; they don't help. But at the end of the day, does the country produce a few people who are able to 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 move forward and to rewrite the national myth? Uh, I I don't know about that, but. Um... Yes, I mean, it, the, the point of the discussion is, I think it's clear that is um, a concentration of power to the state, concentration of power within the state, the personalization of movements is part and parcel of this broader uh, process. Those uh, leaders elected as presidents face no checks and balances within the parties and normally they don't face checks and balances within the political system as a result. So again, we can discuss the, the outcome of the parliamentary election. I don't think it changes dramatically the situation. Macron's uh, movement still has a majority. It's a relative majority. It's not an absolute majority. And uh, um, 
basically it can it can uh, it can also uh, go through uh, national assembly uh, pass its agenda through the national assembly but what what worries me for the future is that uh, is the trend uh, as we were as we were saying and uh, we don't know what's going to happen in 2027 each time it gets closer uh, the, the the rassemblement national now each time gets closer to uh, to to winning the elections, I have been honestly surprised to see the detailed results in the countryside in France. How many how many uh, voters went for the Rassemblement National during the parliamentary elections in 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 the countryside? Um, in many circumscriptions, it was very tight between the the Rassemblement National and 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 the the movement of Macron. So uh, it's uh, this situation honestly is worrying it's dangerous and the problem the worst is that i mean i uh, i agree i sympathize with those who are saying that uh, we need to save democracy uh, when there is a selection but i do think that the institutional process and the election, electoral process also contribute to uh, this this situation and that's why it's even more worrying and each um each time, yes, it gets closer. And so this this is if at some point the Rassemblement National or, uh, or movement or similar movement um, were to take power in France, this highly concentrated power, it would be honestly a, a European problem. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I, I find this situation extremely worrying. And as you were saying, there is no real, uh, I don't see anything that can prevent it. You, you mentioned of a national myth. This is too abstract for me. I, I think the, the problem is, is, is more restoring a, a, a constitution that, that works, uh, that, that uh, keeps checks and balances. This, this is a priority. Um, and then, and then, international economics will probably play a much bigger role than all this in the next two or three years. Because, in view of the economic crisis we're in, uh, uh, which has been accelerated by the uh, war in Ukraine, uh, I think at this stage in history, it's the way the Ukrainian issue is going to be solved in the next six months or year, whichever way it's solved. And the question is whether we can avoid a two or three years of high inflation and oil prices, because that would do damage not just yes. to France, but the yes. whole of Europe. And so things are, the point is that it's decisions taking elsewhere or events happening elsewhere, which will at this stage probably play as great a role in the evolution of France than anything internal, at least that's my view. So, all right. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Francis, for, for the discussion. It was, it was very interesting. And um, okay, let's stop it here. Thank you very much. Bye.